Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you've wanted yet feared to do work that is weird, this is the show you just need to hear. The process of making comics hasn't really changed all that much since the 1930s. You have your penciler who draws the comic, the writer who writes the comic, the colorist who, well, you get the point. All of these jobs are fairly easy to understand. But there's one job that Mark Morales has been trying to explain for the last 25 years. Mark tells me all about what's maybe the most ambiguous job in the entire comic book industry. And I learned that even outside the traditional 9 to 5, the almighty deadline still wields its own type of superpower. I'm Sam Balter, and this is Weird Work. Now let's listen to them speak about their jobs, which are quite unique. Weird Work. Batman or Iron Man? I mean, there are two, like, rich dudes with expensive toys to fight along other superheroes. Well, Batman looks cooler, but I I, I prefer not, uh, you know, obsessing over and seeing my parents killed in my dreams constantly. So I'll go with Iron Man. <laughs> just just avoiding the general horrific torment that is Batman's life. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, I'm sure you've seen Batman movies and cartoons. I mean, the parents, he, they keep getting killed in these things repeatedly. They keep showing it over and over again. It's like PTSD <laughs> for that poor guy. So I think I'll go with Iron Man. It's like you're rich. I mean, you had a heart problem, but eh, you can get over that. <laughs> Yeah, like a lot of rich dudes have heart problems. Like it's not exactly. it's not a big deal. <laughs> he seems to enjoy being rich more than Batman. Yeah, that's true. Batman doesn't make being rich look too fun. No, 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 no. Just to give me a sense of scale, like how many comic books have you inked in your career? Let me do some. I, I've <laughs> done over 10,000 pages. Each book is 20 pages or so. I failed math, but I don't know what that means. That's a few hundred books, I guess. <laughs> hundreds of books, certainly. I've been doing it for 25 years. So yeah, I racked up a lot of, uh, I put in my 10,000 hours to get good at something at this point. Yeah, you, it sounds like you've definitely logged your 10,000 hours. Yes. When you look back at a lot of the work you've done, is there anything that stands out as to you as like, oh my God, that was some of the best inking I've ever done before? No. <laughs> Basically every job you do it and uh, you immediately hate it and then... With time, you go back and look at it and see what you did well and not. You know, the problem with comic books is that you are on a deadline at all times. If you're having a good day, that's great. If you're having a bad day, that's great. But you still have to get something done that day to make the deadline. So uh, <laughs> there's no book that I've done really where I felt that I've had enough time to do it the way I would want to do it. Do you think if they were like, Mark, take as much time as you want, do you think you would finish it? Or do you think you would just like endlessly work on it? I think I would probably goof off and not do as well as I could either. So I think I need, I think I need a bit of a deadline to actually get stuff done, actually. So it, it's a, it's, it's a catch-22. If I have too much time, I'm going to goof off. If I don't, I'm going to complain. So I'm never happy, we're saying, basically. <laughs> For you, what was the first comic book that sparked your interest in comics? 
my brother worked at a uh, a sleepaway camp. He was like one of the camp counselors. And we went over there to visit him one day, and they had a stack of comic books in the corner. And uh, I was blown away because, like, no one told me these things even existed. I was like, what is this? And the first one I got was a uh, Marvel premiere with uh, Iron Fist, who's in a Netflix show now. Yeah. Back back then, uh, the comics were like a quarter. So um, I, I grew up in the suburbs. My father worked in New York City. And when he was coming back from work, every Friday, he would spend a dollar and just like pick up like four random comics and bring them home. And that's when the addiction began. What I liked about comics back then was that unless you pick up the first one, which you rarely did, you were dropped in the middle of a universe and you had to sort of figure out what was going on, who's who, you know, how the characters interacted, why the villains hated them, and all that stuff. So it's like you're part of a, a bigger storyline that you had to catch up on. I guess I never really thought about that because it was the same thing with me. Like I, when I had comic books, like my parents would get them for me and they had no idea. So like I would get like a Hulk comic book and then like an X-Men comic book and you don't know who anyone is. And you're just like, oh, I guess this guy could like move metal. <laughs> and, a, and a lot of times you'd be lucky if they picked up the next issue. So if it ended off in a cliffhanger, you'd hope that they pick up the next issue so you see what happened. Because there was a Spider-Man issue where he fought the X-Men. And I had no clue until I found <laughs> the issue 20 years later what happened in that book. Because I couldn't find it. I, ass- I assume it all worked out. But uh, who knows? Getting into what you do. How would you explain the job of an anchor? That is a very tough thing to explain. My wife, I've been married to her for over, I don't know, we've been together for like over 10 years now, and its I don't think I can really, she can even explain it right now either. <laughs> the way they've broken up comic books is sort of an assembly line, where uh, you have a writer that writes like a movie-type script, and he hands it off to the person called the penciler, who basically takes the script, breaks it up into panels, and, you know, dictates the action, whatever. Sort of like, he's basically the director of the book, he's like a storyboard artist for movies. The inker's job is to take the pencils and finish them up in ink so they can be colored, you know, presented like a, a black and white drawing that can be uh, printed. The point is to make it as good looking in black and white before the colorist gets to it so that it can really read and show depth and everything. Hmm. The pencils are done ver- in various ways. Some of them are super finely detailed and precise and other ones are really loose and sketchy, you know, scribbles that you have to take from there and add depth and shadow and light and everything to make it work. This is really interesting to me that it's such an, it's like an assembly line process. Yeah, it started in the 40s where uh, they didn't really pay, I mean, comic books were sort of the ghetto of uh, illustration. I mean, everybody wanted to be (laughs) a illustrator for magazines or for newspaper strips. So you had a lot of younger people that started in comics as, you know, their stepping stone job and they paid almost nothing. So the only way to really make money was to really crank out the pages super fast. So they broke it up at that point to, you know, the people that could pencil better did that and the inkers did it just to keep the process moving quickly. And for whatever reason, it sort of stuck because most of the guys that draw the books, I mean, they have the hardest part of the job. They have to sit there and look at the blank sheet of paper and make something out of it. Yeah. But uh, And it takes a while to do that. So to save time and get it out on a monthly basis, they still have it broken up between the guy with pencils is the inker and the colorist. That's so interesting, though. Mm-hmm. In order for people to make money, you just had to crank out as Absolutely. many as you could. I mean, if you look at the old books, I mean, the quality really, with rare exception, is not there. It's just, you know, they're cranking it up <laughs> because they're disposable entertainment. They're like 10 cents back then for kids, you know. I mean, you, you had some guys that were really good, like Jack Kirby or whoever that stood out. But it wasn't until like the 60s, really, where really people started taking their time on the pages because, you know, the page rate went up a little bit so that people could actually afford to take more time on it. 
why do you think it's continued to be in the same format? Well, it's a weird thing because as an anchor, your job is to basically take the pencils that you get and present it in the best form possible. And a lot of times the pencilers aren't very adept at doing the inks. You have to use a bunch of different tools to sort of create the illusion of depth in the pages and whatever, and shadow and light. Like if I have something in the foreground and in the background in the same panel, if you use simply like a heavier line on the foreground thing and a thinner line in the background figure, it gives the illusion of depth. And you use a whole bunch of different tools to do that. You can use a pen, a brush, markers, sponges, fingertips, anything, you know, to get a different, anything you use to get a black mark on the page, you kind of do that with. So like if I'm doing a scene where there's like a car on fire or whatever, you'll use a pen to maybe draw the flames and you'll use even your finger, you know, your fingerprint with some ink on it to make the smoke. You know, it's almost like finger painting, really. It's like whatever you can do to sort of give it an illusion of depth and reality. Whoa. Whatever works. I did not. I assumed it was all just pens. It's mostly pen, but I mean, like for special effects type of stuff, like if you're in space and there's a bunch of stars or whatever, I'll get a toothbrush and fill it with white paint and spray it on the the black to make the stars. Like if you're doing like a mountain, maybe you'll get a sponge and you'll dip it in ink and just sort of dab it on the page to make it look like rocks. Sort of like a Bob Ross uh, painting technique, you know, <laughs> happy mountains. The anchors know all those tricks really to sort of make it work that way, whereas a lot of times the pencilers never focused on that, so they're not adept at doing it. And a lot of times when you have a good anchor and a good penciler, you come up with a product that's like a sort of a hybrid between both of them that looks better theoretically than, you know, what the penciler or the anchor would do on their own, you know. Basically, you're trying to accentuate the positive parts of the pencils and, you know, build up the parts that he's not as strong as. So hopefully at the end of the day, the product looks stronger combined than it would separately. Okay, so let's use let's use like a real life example here. You recently started working on the latest Avengers comic book series. Correct. They had a premiere for the the Avengers movie and I was busy working on the Avengers. so I couldn't even go to the premiere of the movie, which kind of sucked in a weird way but <laughs> obviously no grudges are held no no not, not at all <laughs> so can you take me through the process from the beginning like when did you find out you were going to work on that series and how did you find out okay well i had been i've been working with this uh the penciler of the book uh, ed mcginnis for the last like four or five years we just did a project for Marvel that ended last year. It was a, it was a two-year project called Spider-Man Deadpool. It was like a team-up book. And uh, once that was over, they offered Ed the uh, Avengers. And, of course, he said yes, because who wouldn't say yes to the <laughs> Avengers right now? Especially considering it was coming out right around the time the movie was coming out. So, I mean, once uh, Ed got the book, uh, he wanted to keep working with me. So he asked, and I, of course, said yes. At, at this point, I've been lucky enough to be doing this a long enough time and people like my stuff enough, I guess, where they kind of offer me the projects and it's just a matter of if I, if I can fit it into the schedule or not. And certainly I could find time to fit in the Avengers. So the penciler got you the job. Is that kind of thing normal? The guys that tend to work together, work together over years and various projects. So unless something changes to rock the boat, I'm going to probably be working with Ed on whatever his next project is, too. Okay, so Ed gets the job, and you're both working on this now as the package deal. Mm -hmm. How much notice is this before you actually have to start working? The way it works is this. Usually you get a good amount of lead, of, of, of the heads up that you're going to do the book, and then inevitably things happen, and the book gets later and later and later, and it ends up being more <laughs> of a rush. 
I just finished the first issue of the Justice League, which comes out next month, and uh, I finished it yesterday. We knew we were doing it from January, but of course, various things happened, and of course, we were right down to the wire on it, and you know, <laughs> it always starts off where you're not rushing, and then at the end, it's like, oh my god, oh my god, I've got to finish. Do you get the whole comic book? Do you get the whole series? Do you get one page? Like, what information do you get when you have to start work? Well, usually we get the script first to see, you know, what's going on. And as an anchor, I'm not drawing it, but I do try to pick and choose the pages that are going to take the most effort. And, you know, you really have to put the most time to make it look good. Like in the first issue of The Avengers, there's a scene where Iron Man, Captain America and uh, Thor are in a bar talking. So that <laughs> those pages are pretty much boring. Yeah. But there's other pages where they're fighting gigantic robots. And those are the ones where you want to really take the t- extra time to put the effort into because those are the ones that are going to stand out. So... When you read this, when I read the script, at least I try to, you know, pick out the ones I'm going to have to put more effort into than others. And then you kind of just have to wait for Ed to draw the pages. Hmm. So hopefully he feels the same way. And he usually picks the pages that are hardest to do first so that later on we can kind of crank through the the easier pages. So um, it's a process because each page can take anywhere. I mean, on the easy end from like four to five hours, but on the high end, it can take 20, 30 hours, some of them. Damn. Yeah. It it, it really depends. I mean... I guess it averages out to maybe like uh, eight to 10 hours a page mostly. And I'm trying to get one done a day for the most part to keep the, you know, keep the deadline at bay because usually the books are like 20, 22 pages and you have a month to do them. So to an outside observer, it might seem like your job might be kind of like boring because you're like filling in the the, like the lines and shading and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, where do you find the creativity in the inking process? Using the uh, Avengers and the Justice League as comparison, because are the two books I'm working on right now, the the pencil for the uh, Justice League, he is his stuff is super detailed, crazy details. And and he draws (laughs) like on Captain America's costume, he's drawn the Avengers in the past. On Captain America's costume, he'll draw every blink of the chainmail on his costume and put a shadow on it and put a highlight <laughs> on it. And basically, your job is to sit there and take the mass of lines and sort of make it into a readable thing. Whereas the guy who's doing the Avengers now, Ed McGinnis, his stuff is a little bit looser and more cartoony. So you want to make it powerful and you know impactful. Whereas the other guy's stuff is a little more subtle. Every every day is a challenge to just try and make that page the best that page can be. It's like, you know, you, sh- you find a diamond, you're trying to shine it up as good as possible. And making the deadline, of course. Yeah, this deadline is like a looming constant in your world. Yeah, it's it's, it's terrible. It's, it's always <laughs> it's always there. Yeah, it's like you've mentioned it so many times. It's like, it's like the deadline is the all-pressing thing. Like you're on an assembly line and you have this deadline. Yeah, there, there's certainly there's, there's some pages where it's just like the talking heads in a, in a bar. So there's really not much creativity there just getting it done. But then you get a scene where it's like on an alien planet and you got to go in there and maybe the pencil didn't give you too much. So you got to go in there and you got to add the textures. You got to figure out what the rocks look like. Or if they're in space, you want to figure out how you're going to make it look like a black hole or something. You know, it's if the penciler drew a face that's off or something or drew a hand that doesn't look right, as a, a good anchor can go in there because he can draw it too. He can go in there and fix the face, fix the hand or whatever. The whole thing of inking really is more like problem solving. It's just a matter of various problems you're going to have and you have to figure out a way out of it every day. 
under deadline, like I said. <laughs> the problem. Solve problems under deadline. Yes, yes. So you you mentioned that it was like difficult for you to even explain to your wife exactly what you do. Yeah, it was difficult to explain to my wife that comic books even existed. She has to this day no interest. <laughs> she uh had to Google me to make sure that I wasn't lying, that I actually could do this for a living, because I don't think that there are more than 500 to 1,000 comic book artists in America at all. I mean, it's, it, there's not that many of them, really. I mean, if you go to a party, you'll easily meet a doctor or a lawyer. You won't meet too many of me. <laughs> yeah, you you are the first anchor I've ever talked to. And I've talked to doctors before and lawyers. Exactly. <laughs> which, 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 which actually now is sort of cool because, I mean, 20 years ago when you explained that, it's like, what? But now it's like, oh, you work on the Marvel stuff. Oh, now they understand. Yeah, now they get it. Now it's easier. Yeah. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Within the context of these giant productions, like there's all sorts of people you know, there's like the editors, there's people who are working on it, project managers. Do they understand what you're doing and how it's creative? Uh, I would say that most of the people there understand what I'm doing. There's some <laughs> that I don't think have any clue still. When I started probably like you know, in, in the 90s, uh, a lot of the people that were editors were people that were sometimes they were artists too. So they kind of had a working idea more of how the process goes. Huh. But a lot of the people that have come in over the years are more like, you know, people that graduate from college with a, you know, an English degree or whatever, a writing degree. So they're more on the, the the written part of it and the visual part of it is kind of a mystery to them. So I would say that most of the people there know what I'm doing, but there are a few that uh 
I don't think I have any clue. It's just, oh, it looks pretty. That's nice. <laughs> does it does it matter to you if people know what you're doing and understand what you're doing or not? I have a friend of mine that works at Pixar, and he was one of the guys that uh, worked on Monsters Incorporated. And he's one of the CG artists that was the guy who worked on the fur for the, the Sully character. And there are like 50 guys that basically work on making his hair look like it's moving. So... <laughs> And he spent two years doing this to make a follicle of hair move. So, I mean, he's so he says that he's on a Pixar movie and he is, but he's one of the 800 people that are on it. So it's like, you know, it, it's not that bad in comics because it's really on each book. There's like five or six people that work on it. But uh, I'm a part of I'm a, I'm a cog in the machine of making the comic book. I mean, the, the rock stars are the writer and the penciler. Is it you, you're still in the band though, and you're still like you're still your name is on the thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm still I'm still in there, but I'm not I'm not the guys that are up front, you know. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you're in a band, you're the drummer. You're in the back. You're not on a microphone, but you're laying down the beat, and it wouldn't work without you. Correct. Correct. So. In some ways, like, I know there's, you know, like the all-pressing deadline. Things could be sometimes a little bit monotonous if somebody has drawn out everything. Um, what keeps you coming back to inking? Just more of a pragmatic thing. I figured I'd get into comics uh, as an inker and then eventually transition over to the penciling part. Hmm. But I got good enough and fast enough at the inking part of it that they'd pay me more to ink it now than they probably would pay me to pencil it at this point. So can we can we just talk money for a second? Mm-hmm. How do you get paid? Is it on the number of pages? Is it like an upfront payment for a whole series? Like how does that work? Um, you get a page rate. You know whatever you're getting for that page you've, that you've negotiated, or you get raises over the years, or whatever. So you get that, and then you get if the book sells over a certain amount of copies, you get a royalty on that. You know, like like in book publishing. So those are the two incomes. And then also what you do, too, is uh, I'm still a traditional artist, where meaning that there's guys that ink all the pages digitally now, but I still do it on the actual paper. And there's a huge community out there that will buy the pages. So um, you get to sell those, too, and you have that other stream of income also. That's become a huge thing over the years because um, up until the 70s, they didn't give the artwork back to the artist to the penciler or inker. I mean, the company just kept them. I mean, there's stories where DC Comics back in the 60s would have tours, like, you know, like grammar schools would come there and, and come and see where Superman's being made or something. And they would basically take the comic book pages and cut the panels out and give a panel to each kid. <laughs> so there are tons of books that were just like butchered like that, basically. <laughs> but over the years, the uh, pages have become a valuable thing since they especially since they started giving back to the artists in the 70s and it's a it's a, it's a pretty, pretty big collectible thing now the original art because at the end of the day you're getting a one-of-a-kind piece from a book that you know hundreds or thousands of people have seen you know it's like and some of the prices are going crazy like if you get some jack kirby pages from like the 60s like on the fantastic four or x-men or whatever so some of those pages go for tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars now and uh, I think George Lucas is actually opening a museum in uh, California that's going to focus on a lot of that type of stuff. Hmm. I guess a lot of people that were kids back in the 70s and 80s that loved that stuff and grew up and became, you know, lawyers, doctors, whatever, and have disposable <laughs> income now are really throwing the money into the market. And it's sort of going crazy. I'm sure over time it's only going to appreciate in value. Yeah. And especially, too, that 
like I said, a lot of artists are doing all their work digitally now. So when you do it digitally, there is no actual finished board to show anybody. So there's no physical page. So it becomes even rarer the ones that are still doing it that way. So hopefully it'll accrue in value because there's not going to be as many of them. Basically, all the new guys basically are coming in. Most of them are working digitally. Most of the older guys that were around right before the computer revolution are doing it still the old-fashioned way. And um, I don't know. Uh, We're we're old. We like it that way. (laughs) Get off our lawn. But uh, (laughs) it's also the fact that at the end of the day, like I said, you actually have a physical, tangible page that you can hang on your wall or sell. Whereas digitally, you do not have that. And considering uh, a good chunk of my income is from selling the actual artwork, the physical pages, why would I not do that? (laughs) There probably aren't more than, I mean, like I said, there's probably not more than 500 people that do this for a living. There's probably not more than 10 to 20 inkers that are actually making any actual money doing this now. Whoa. Um, It also is because that inkers can do... um, more than one book, a lot of them. I mean, I have, I have a friend of mine who can do like four books in a month. I'm not that anywhere near that fast. But the few that are there are like, you know, doing uh, more books proportionally than the pencilers can do because for the most part, a pencil can do one book a month. An anchor can do two, or if you're crazy, like four books a month. So those, t- those 20, 25 guys are doing close to, you know, 80 to 100 books between them, I guess. A lot of the pencilers, like I said, now are doing this stuff digitally. And you can ink digitally, certainly. So, I mean, a lot of them are like basically finishing it themselves digitally. Certainly, I could see within 10, 20 years, there's even less inkers that are actually working. But there's still always going to be a market for it, I think. But it's just going to keep getting smaller and smaller. Basically, if you remember that movie Titanic, I'm like the musicians that were playing when the (laughs) ship was going down. (laughs) It's like... uh, they're the last ones on the. They're not. They're going down last, but it is going down eventually. <laughs> so, do you think that there's so few inkers because of demand for them, or because it's an incredibly difficult skill to get good at? It's it's a combination of things. It's a difficult skill to get good at, and a lot of pencilers tend to want to do their own stuff because, like, when you're starting out as a penciler you're not going to get me to ink you, really. You're going to get somebody that's new also. <laughs> and usually the new guy is not very good. Yeah. So a lot of the pencils are like, well, well, if that's the case, I'll just do it myself. I mean, it may not be great, but it's better than what I'm getting from that guy. Throughout the years, the best pencilers and inker combinations, like on the X-Men, there was this guy, John Byrne and Terry Austin. They did spectacular work. Jack Kirby and Joe Senna did like the first 100 issues of Fantastic Four together. And at the end of the day, the work that they did together, the collaboration that they did together, like I said, accentuated their strengths. So the Fantastic Four stuff that Kirby and Joe Sinna did had a really slick, energetic feel to it. You know, uh, the stuff that uh, Byrne and Austin did together on the X-Men really was the stuff that made the X-Men the most popular book in the world for a long time. It was like really beautifully illustrative and uh, a lot of energy to it. But if you ever looked at the pencils that those guys did themselves, Without the inks, you could see that what the inker was adding to it to make it take it to another level. A lot of the guys that are doing it these days, they get bad guys that are inking them and it looks worse. So they decide to pencil it more tightly, basically inking it with a pencil in a weird way. And that makes the inker's job less collaborative because they're just sort of being told to trace what the guy drew. And that ends up killing the life in the finished product. So, I mean, like I said, I'm lucky that I, I started at a time when it was more of a collaborative thing and... Most of the guys I'm working with are looking for that collaboration. So it's working out for me. So for you, like, what what's your, like, 
five-year plan? You know, are you ever thinking of moving into penciling, maybe like uh, running your own series or like creating a school for old school inking? <laughs> my five-year, my, 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 my 20-year plan is to pay off this house that I just bought and that's it. But uh, yeah, um, I have a couple of creator owned ideas that I'm working on that I'm working on with a couple of friends of mine that I'm writing and helping design and inking it. I mean, like I said, the penciling thing for me, I'm so slow that it'll never get done. So it's probably easier for me to write it. I'll come up with the ideas and and help it along with the inks and whatnot. I'll come up with some of the designs for the characters. So I have like two projects that I'm working on with that. And um, thankfully, I've been doing this long enough and people seem to like my stuff enough that there's, I haven't really had an issue getting a job doing this for a while. And hopefully that continues for the duration. Well, I know you got books to ink and deadlines to hit. So I just want to say thank you so much for being on this show today, Mark. It's just been a blast talking to you. Great talking to you too. Today's episode was produced by Matthew Brown. Additional recording help came from Daniel Waldorf. If you want to check out Mark's latest work, Grab yourself a copy of the new Avengers series, or hold tight just a little bit longer for his run on Justice League. No Ben Affleck required. Next week will be our final episode of the season. Can we cue a sad trombone, Matt? Matt, play the trombone. I'll finally be tackling the one question that's been haunting me this entire season. And the answer is, How could I put this? Delicious? I'm Sam Balter, and stay weird, you benevolent supervillains.